rise and shine. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to Good Morning Aurora. News, weather, and really cool interviews. Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 a.m. Good morning, Aurora. Good morning, good morning. The time is now 8.05 a.m. It is July 20th, 2020, and you are listening to Good Morning, Aurora, the second largest city's first daily news podcast with interviews, um, art, culture, information, everything that you need. We're coming to you live from Gremlin Studios, downtown Aurora, every day, Monday through Friday. We hope that you guys had a great, nice, cool weekend, that you still have all of your uh, fingers and toes and all that. Um, so we have a good show for you guys today, and I'm joined in the studio with Sandra Gonzalez from the Aurora Rapid Response Team. Thank you, Curtis, for having me. Hey. <laughs> all claps will be live until we get the clap button. All right. So um, we've got a lot to talk about today, and we're going to be continuing a, a discussion about anti-blackness in the Latino or Latinx community. Um, but first things first, we do have some updates for you guys that I want you to know. And I have to say, shout out to McCarty Mills uh, today at the moment. Didn't get a chance to go for that breakfast pizza and beer mosas over the weekend on Sunday. It was rainy. It was the world's rainiest day. But uh, we will get a chance to go back there. If you guys have not been there, they are across the street from the Aurora Public Library, uh, McCarty, McCarty Mills Tap Room and Bottle House. So... Uh, this week, Aurora Public Arts virtual summer programming continues. Today we have dance with Simply Destiny. Tomorrow is sunset painting with Raul, Raul Rodia. Uh, so please check out our friends at Aurora Public Art. They do a great live stream, and they have. A uh, special bluegrass live stream with Rob Anderlich and Mike Church is Wednesday, July 22nd. It's a bluegrass live stream from the venue online. You can check them out on Facebook Live, and they also have a YouTube, which is wonderful as well. Um, the venue is down there on Broadway. They've done a lot of very good programming and uh, really cool shows. So if life ever does return back to some sense of normalcy, I recommend getting a beer, going there, and hanging out. You know, chill out. It's a great place for a date. You know, you're hanging out in the back. It's really open and everything. You got the, the jams. Really cool. Um, upcoming shows for Michael Rawls. He was at McCarty Mills this weekend. His next show is going to be on the 24th at Global Brew, which is in St. Charles. After that, the 25th, Q Bar in Darien. The 31st, Grandma's Wine Bar in Lakemore, Illinois. Shout out to our friends Visual Arts. They have the Beyond the Walls uh, exhibition of graffiti, street art, and beyond. That's going to be at Gallery 1904 at 1 East Benton Street in Aurora, Friday, August 2nd, August 7th, excuse me, from 5.30 to 8.30 p.m. You can check out and get more information at bezoarts.com. Shout out to our art friends who are taking part in that. It's going to be super dope, y'all. All right. The 2020 STEAM College Connection Summer Camp for Kids starts this week, and it goes until Friday, 9.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. It is a virtual camp that's brought to us by the DuPage County NAACP, serving DuPage, Kane, Kendall, and Will Counties. Uh, now that we've got the updates out of the way, oh, and, and it's going to be hot today. So, you know, I, I recommend if you got shorts or sandals, you might want to rock those. It's going to be extremely hot, so um, hydrate please hydrate. So without further ado, 
we're going to get into our interview here with Sandra. Uh, so, Sandra, for the listeners, let them know, um, introduce yourself, where you're from. Yeah, um, I have been in Aurora for the past five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at originally from uh, Skokie, Illinois, so I grew up Oh, there. wow, way up yeah. north. Yeah, mm. so I'm a transplant. But <laughs> <laughs> I know Skokie. That's the yellow line, right? Yeah, the L? Oh, yeah. yeah. Good I times. Used to, I, uh, actually, at the last, like, three or so years that I was living there, my family being there, we actually lived a couple blocks from uh, the Oakton-Skokie line. So, right. you know, we'd always make the trek with my friends from the yellow line to the red. I remember the line. So if I were to move oh, back yeah. there, be like, I wouldn't. I don't want to move back there. I love Aurora, but... um. Yeah, no, I am the co-executive director of the Aurora Rapid Response Team. We've okay. been around for a little over two years, and we've been an official nonprofit for um, coming on a year. So we've okay. been doing a lot of stuff. We're still a baby nonprofit, yeah. um, but we do a lot of the groundwork in terms of verifying Um, potential ice sightings, um, scanning social media, providing outreach and education as far as knowing your rights, being a ally to the undocumented community, or even just now the conversation around um, black and brown uh, communities as well, because, you know, um, unfortunately, immigration policy, it really does target black and brown communities at this point. And um, and then um, I am also a PhD student at Illinois State. Um, I'm studying basically social justice and education, because if I were to tell you the whole title of my program, we'd be, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, so I think that you are the very first, no, I think you're the second or third guest that we've had that is not originally from yeah. Aurora. So that's pretty interesting. <laughs> that's good to know. Um, growing up, how did your dad impact your life? Oh, wow. (laughs) Um, Definitely a source of many sacrifices. And um, I am actually the oldest daughter of Salvadoran migrants. Mm -hmm. Um, They fled the Civil War in uh, 1993. So my mom was actually three months pregnant with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And my dad is very much the source of being a promoter of all things education, albeit he didn't necessarily see me going down the route that I'm going right. now currently, but um, he was one of 15 children out of his family, the only one with a college education back in El Salvador. Wow. So, um, yeah, it's a big source of um, inspiration for me, definitely. Um, but definitely with my dad, he's um, definitely been um, the one where the source of unlearning for me, definitely with um, machismo and some of the uh, racist attitudes towards um, certain demographics of people, mm-hmm. um, and also being the oldest and being uh, white out of my siblings compared to them that have a darker complexion. Right. Um, so he's definitely been the source of promoting anti-blackness within our family as well growing up. Hmm. Um, so that's where a lot of my interest in this topic comes from is the personal effect that has come from someone that is um, a, a role model and also promoting and even um, continuing to just be the enabler of what it means to be Latino in the U.S., but also what it means to be of a certain complexion as a Latino in the U.S., because 
we definitely come in many shades. We're not a race. We're an ethnicity. We're reflective of different cultures that have influenced the larger scope of what our demographic is. And so I would definitely say that um, he's definitely been the one of the biggest sources of me continuing to advocate for people looking at this topic from a different perspective. Um, so we're going to get to the to the meat of the discussion, the um, anti-blackness aspect, but I did want to ask um, the advocacy work when it comes to the response team and what, sh what you guys do. Um, you know, Good Morning Aurora has tried to be a voice for um, you know, who, who we call the uh, underserved, so veterans, seniors, and undocumented residents. Um, from what you know, just your experience, how hard is it uh, currently in America for an undocumented resident? Um, given the unpredictability of just changing immigration policy and challenges under this current administration, um, it's is definitely something that comes with a lot of emotion, so that mental health aspect that's tied to it. Mm -hmm. um, even when someone is a non-citizen trying to um, keep up with the changing attitudes and changing requirements for someone to be here in the country, um, it's definitely challenging to navigate, um, especially, for example, DACA is the biggest example of this. Um, um, talking to people that are directly impacted by this, the um, constant updates and constant unpredictability of what that would come with should it ever in the future um, be axed. And um, fortunately enough, back in June, they came with a decision that it would continue to serve um, this population of the undocumented community. But again, that comes with a lot of source of um, emotion for some of the students that I know and have worked with, some of my friends um, that do um, benefit from the DACA program. And they have, this administration has tried to continue to not comply with the outcome of that court decision. They're fighting so hard. They're fighting very Dedicated. hard. I mean, yes. they will, just when you thought it was over, they will keep fighting tooth and nail. And they were continuing to fight against that court decision by stating that we would not be accepting new DACA applications, um, trying to refrain from accepting DACA renewals. And actually just this past week, um, the court upheld their decision by saying that you have to accept these renewals and also start new applications. Um, so it's very challenging when you have this administration that is fervently trying to keep certain people from accessing programs that were designed to be able to empower them, but also at the same time, this is a bandage. Um, this is not something that um, is going to be the end-all be-all of the so quote-unquote fixes for our immigration system. and. Also to the other point of COVID, COVID has definitely magnified a lot of the immigration issues that we've been having, um, closing the border, um, not allowing asylees to come onto um, U.S. ground to be able to wait for right. their asylee status. Um, the migrant protection protocols, um, it forces migrants to stay on the Mexico side 
while facing violence, unpredictability, um, the lack of access to health care and other legal services. So definitely this is something that is not new also. It's a redesign. Um, it's not just this current administration. We talk about going back to the Reagan administration and their um, asylum program um, and allowing family reunification and also uh, making the process easier for families to apply to come into the U.S. It's all something that is a manifestation and a growing issue that we don't have a solution right now as to what immigration reform should look like because we keep adding to the issues that are further um, um, propelled by racist rhetoric of the people that are in these positions of power. Um, and I think uh, you mentioned that, and I think that besides the policy aspect, I, I, uh, the Border Patrol agents who destroy water and pour it out because um, they don't want anyone to get a, a drink of water on their yes. uh, trek through a journey. So, uh, so yeah, as, as counterproductive as the law may be, um, it's doubly as bad to have humans who will actually try to, you yes. know, hurt or stifle people um, on their on their trips. And now we're talking about the incarceration of people that are trying to help people that are seeking to better their opportunities in this country, and then finding that they are also being implicated in this issue um, at the border. And so we've seen how some people will even be jailed for trying to help um, people that are trying to navigate this system. Yeah, that happened in like, uh, yeah, I, I saw a couple months ago. Yes, yeah, I saw yes. Someone, yeah. mm -hmm. So um, trying to help people by providing them food, water, um, people that are trying to assist in what is a humanitarian cause. It's, it's, human, it's human rights abuses that are being committed by this government, and yet we choose to basically brush that under the rug. Uh, the time is now 8.19 a.m., and you're listening to Good Morning Aurora. Um, so on to the subject of anti-blackness. For the listeners and those who are not familiar, um, give us a little starter about the conversation. What is um, anti-blackness, and how are we defining it in the Latinx community? Well, what we mean by anti-blackness is um, microaggressions or the promotion of whitening within the Latinx community, um, negating the uh, indigenous and also African heritage and ascendancy of some people in our community, um, and also promoting, um, even within the media and other outlets, um, what the idea of a Latino should look like all while erasing and essentially promoting violence against those that are of darker complexion. Um, why is that? Why? There is a lot of history behind that, and it goes as far back as the 1400s. Mm -hmm. So um, during the time that is the inception of colonization, um, we're talking about um, Christopher Columbus. Now, there's... Mm -hmm this whole um, just controversy surrounding his image as well as we saw over the weekend right. with um, the statue that's in downtown Chicago. 
I should point out at the moment, uh, not to interrupt, but did you see? They're, I mean, they're fighting tooth and nail to keep that stat. I mean, they. I think it's ridiculous. I really, truly do, mm. and it's mm -hmm. and it's it's really it's really a reflection of the ideals of uh, CPD being promoted by um, the mayor and trying to uphold whatever shred of dignity is left within that administration. I I really, truly feel that. Um, they themselves are also promoting this anti-blackness by upholding the statue of someone that is a rapist. Yeah, the, the, the discussion is the discussion over uh, Christopher Columbus and his history is, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I like reading the comments and reading the discussion. I mean, that is entertaining. But, uh, yeah, I was really struck by the, the dedication to protecting it. Um, but so it, it's, it started or it has its roots there in that time frame? It's it, within that time frame of um, navigating um, new uh, the new world um, with what people would say is the new world, but really was um, inhabited by indigenous communities. Um, his men came on ships. They arrived at the West Indies thinking that they were going to India. Um, but right. they, they did not. Um, and they figured that this is where the new world is, quote-unquote. We have, quote-unquote, discovered this area, only to find that there were already inhabitants on the islands. Um, and they deemed them essentially not worthy of um, being part of their community, of what they set out to do. And so this is where we start seeing the erasure of the histories of people that have been around for thousands of years mm -hmm. and deeming them to be unintelligent, um, um, quote-unquote, savages, and also completely disregarding any sort of advancements that they themselves have um, already had within their peoples. So you're talking about um, the movement of Christianizing people. You're talking about effectively erasing their culture and also um, who they are as the um, people, um, violence against women and children. Um, this is where we also start seeing the need for chattel slavery. And it all starts with in the, these indigenous groups as they start to see people as profit versus people being humans. How um, entrenched is um, anti-blackness in the Latinx community? And I ask that in regards to, um, you know, or as opposed to uh, what we'll call, I guess, for the conversation, classic anti-blackness from a, a more white perspective, you know, looking at that traditional history? Well, it is very much ingrained within the way that people navigate each other. Um, the knowledge of the history behind the, our ethnicity um, around different regions of Latin America, um, seeking to um, this um, erasure of 
what the example in the U.S. would be the one drop rule. Any drop right. of... Um, Glad you brought that up. Yes. Woke. So <laughs> woke on the mic. Super woke. This early, it's only 825. I know, it's super early. <laughs> you know, and I was just saying earlier, I've, I had to write, I actually had to write a paper. On, I, I was taking um, a black radical tradition course as okay. part of my class. And so that's definitely um, inspired me more to seek out this research about anti-blackness mm -hmm. um, and black liberation um but that's a whole different conversation but right, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll make that a part two, <laughs> part two. Um, but it's it's definitely something that's ingrained in that this idea of mestizaje so the whitening of our communities um and not acknowledging that um yes there were uh, african people that were enslaved in mexico in areas of um, what is now Colombia and Venezuela, um, and even within Central America, um, we still don't acknowledge that black people exist. Um, and we're just starting to come around to this notion that yes, we have indigenous people in our areas that really do need um, recognition. And so this, this is not something new, and it is just the, with the onset of the killings of George Floyd, um, Breonna Taylor, we're starting to see um, definitely the Latinx community addressing this, mm -hmm. but then you're also seeing the way that um, Latinos within the community are showing their true colors. Right. Um, especially when it comes to um, this idea of what peaceful protests look like and pitting us against them this notion of well you know they don't take advantage of opportunities mm -hmm. um they're really complaining about something that they've created for themselves mm -hmm. so to speak that um people continue to promote this idea that um black people are lazy mm -hmm. um even within um some of the family members that I've spoken to about this, I've really tried to reframe that notion of, well, that's interesting, but think about the systems and institutions that are in place that have been designed from its inception to oppress people of color, black people, brown people. Um, so this is not something new. It's right. just the um events from june the protests have definitely exposed um the work that needs to be done in order to address these notions of microaggression that continue to exist so um one of the uh, other reasons why i wanted to have this discussion i'm glad to have it is because um i've had the i've been fortunate enough to travel um in the navy i've been to costa rica i've been to guatemala i've been to ecuador been to Panama, been in many places in Mexico, um, and uh, so I am familiar with uh, Latin culture actually having been to these different countries, and, and not the tourist areas either, uh, you know, Quito, Ecuador, Manta, Ecuador, we're talking just outside of where the ships, you know, Navy guy. Mm -hmm. um, so not the nice, pretty, glitzy, right. glamoury areas. Um, and I've been familiar with uh, anti-blackness in the Latin community, but 
I don't think that many African Americans are because I don't think that, well, I know for a fact that the average black person isn't thinking that racism is going to come from the Latin community. Mm -hmm. um, many black people don't know what words like chango mean. Mm -hmm. um, they can't tell that they're being talked about in the restaurant or wherever the case may mm -hmm. be. Um, so I think this is a good, I'm glad that this discussion nowadays in society is happening. Um, what fascinates me though, and I wanna, and this is why I like talking about it, is that why in the world would dads and teals and uncles and have they had it beautiful and easy their whole existence that they don't, you know, do they believe that racism is a light switch that only gets turned on for certain people and not them? I think of many uh, incidents mm -hmm. involving brutality against the Latin community. So I'm wondering where is, you know, where's the blinders at? You know, why is there such a, you know, why do people feel that racism can't happen to them kind of thing? That's what it seems. Is that a, is that a fair statement? Or? I think that's a fair um, analysis yeah. of how, um, like you said, our papas, tios, primos. Yeah. Um, ev I will say that we've had many waves of immigration, especially as far back as... Um, the 1900s um, because you know having having Latino communities isn't new right um, not at all no it's right. not and people uh, that's another um, thing about this is that um, people forget that especially with um, Mexico um, you know they were here prior to um, everything going on with colonization, um, forced sterilization of people, for example, in Puerto Rico um, in the 60s. Um, and so all of those events um, have really um, shaped the way that especially um, our immigrant parents, and I'm not saying that all immigrant parents are like this, um, but just in general when we talk about um, racism within the community it does stem back to the um, places and spaces that they grew up in mm -hmm. um, it's it's definitely a point of contention of not recognizing someone for the color of their skin um, being making fun of people based off of how dark they are mm -hmm. um the word chango in mexico like that is something that has stemmed out of uh not fully recognizing the african history that mm -hmm. has come along with being mexicano and so and also in el salvador as i mentioned before um we still don't have um anything within um, government documents that really does recognize that someone is black and right. so it does go back to these places that people 
originate from and their history of uh, erasing whatever notion of um, Africanism that exists mm-hmm. within their country. Um, and so we continue to see um, that for whatever reason, people talk about black people as if they're caricatures. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is also um, being addressed within nations of Latin America. Um, you see cartoons, and it's no different from the U.S., people in blackface, mm-hmm. um, especially l- within Mexico, the golden era of theater, going back to the 20s and 30s, people would wear blackface, right. and no one said anything about it until now. Right. And so that, that, that idea that you know we can't be racist against black people is something that's a myth. Because it's it's happening. It happens, and we have a history of it. Yeah, I've I've um, I've found it. You know, it's 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 always perturbed me. Like I've grown. I, I lived in San Diego. Um, I lived in Chula Vista, which was about ten minutes from um, the Mexico border. Um, everywhere I've ever lived in my life, like it was either a neighborhood that had a lot of uh, Hispanic people living in it, or it was next door to, I've, I've never been in my entire life, I've never been too far uh, from Latinos. I've just been lucky like that. <laughs> uh, um, and I have found it as hypocritical as, you know, um, some of the, the, the white arguments that you hear mm-hmm. for explaining away racism and things like that. I have found it hypocritical to deride people for their skin color, but be mad that, you know, kids are in cages and mm-hmm. that's racist. Um, so I have found the two to be, you know, I, I, I don't know how the two could exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have a, I got something I want to ask you. And, and this came to me a long time ago from a friend. Is the anti-blackness perhaps um, pinpointed or strengthened by the notion that being too dark or being too Latino would prevent you from jobs? So, for example, I mean, you know, your name's Juan. Mm-hmm. Maybe you might want to be John. Pedro. That's really funny because from um, Pedro to Peter, and I, I, I you <laughs> know, I, I don't bring that up in a in a, a joking or a no, small no, fashion. No, no, but I just I makes think me is. think like you know, my my dad actually his first name is Juan, mm-hmm. but he didn't like that name, so he switched to his middle name, and um, my brother's name is John. Mm-hmm. It it just reminds me of that because it's really interesting that you mentioned that. It's just you know, even just names bring up racist thoughts yeah and and a friend's mom who's latino you know she told me that once upon a time um back hanging out i have a friend who learned english by watching sesame street uh i've known him you know pretty much my whole life and uh you know then that's something that that she told me and you know when you're a kid you're like eh, it doesn't really make much mm-hmm. sense but when you grow up you're like oh, okay because i've met a few like people that were Latino, but I didn't, I couldn't tell by that outward appearance. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy's name is Albert, you know, but come to find out his real name's 
<laughs> Alejandro, whatever. Alberto. Yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, And yeah. I've always, so I've been more conscious of it and, and picking that up. And uh, I have found it somewhat distressing mm-hmm. that one would, one would choose to, I guess, deny or whiten. Anglicize the Anglic- name. Yeah, yeah, anglicize the name. But, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it it. It, again, that stems from racial biases that people have yet to address. Um, and it, even without looking at a person um, on paper, um, let's say for employment purposes, you look at someone's name and instantly you are judging just from their name. And it seems... To some people, it does seem silly that, like, oh, really? Like, why would someone judge someone based off of their name? And yeah. it, it's it's really not. It that's all a f- the time. That is the first, that's the first line of racial bias that we see as a barrier to employment. Um, and then, effectually, when people do a- get asked to come in for um, an interview, you know, now you're... Um, setting yourself up for being judged and if you are um, black and Latino now you're talking about you know that hierarchy of privilege Mm -hmm. you know we shift around and people have varying levels of privilege but in the sense of someone that is Afro-Latino you know you're already um, your privilege is already compounded by one you're black um, if you're bilingual, that's another factor, and um, it's interesting just the notion of bilingualism in the U.S., that for some people being bilingual is prestigious, but then for other people it's not. You're seen as othered, and so being black, Latino, bilingual, and that's where oftentimes you could have all the qualifications in the world, but... If you do happen to come upon an employer that does have this racial bias against you, then it does make it a lot more challenging to right. enter that world. Right. And so there's all these different factors, and people might say that you know it doesn't happen often, but if you look it at it, if you look yeah. at the percentage of um, applicants in really any field you are going to see that there is much bias against someone that might have, quote-unquote, an ethnic-sounding name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so this is also where it ties back to anti-blackness because if we don't address the anti-blackness that occurs within our communities, there's no liberation for the working poor and brown people within this nation. It all ties back to this... Um, centering around blackness and what are the issues that we're trying to address in order to liberate other folks that are being oppressed by um, colonizers, our oppressors. And it stems back to addressing how it is that we treat Afro-Latinos and right. black people in this, in this country. Um, now, uh, time is now... 840. You listen to Good Morning Aurora, and we are here with Sandra Gonzalez, co-director of the Aurora Rapid Response Team. Um, shout out to Treadwell. We got Treadwell in the house. Everybody <laughs> sipping the little, yes. little coffee. We're going to do a little cheers around the thing. Hey, <laughs> mm-hmm. cheers to you at home listening. Um, uh, 
we think of, I think of, uh, I'm going to use the Italian-American community right now. It's just a small example. Uh, the Filipino community is another example in the Latin community. Um, there is something that I've noticed my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've been looking at it. It's kind of like, you know, I've been looking at this thing. and Is it this? It's is like it this that? cloud looming over Yeah, what, what is it really? And I, I came to the realization, I want your opinion on this. Um, Latinos are a very uh, religious people. Um, Catholicism is strong in the Latin community, Filipino community. Also another source of anti-blackness. And the, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I just brought up the Italian community, uh, but in all these communities. And I'm wondering, I, I look back and I think to myself, it seems to me, being an outsider in the community, but having an, uh, a knowledge of the anti-blackness, it seems to me that religion is a strong underpinning of, dare I say, 60% maybe of the intolerance, the prejudice, the anti-blackness, and the racism. So that is to say, I believe that Religion is a stronger catalyst for racism in the community as opposed to simply the ethnic background. Mm -hmm. um, that is a I, safe assumption. I do, I, it's the one parallel of all the countries I've been in, and I'm, I'm not speaking bad on them. Ecuador is a great place, and mm -hmm. I did not experience discrimination. It's those subtle things mm -hmm. within the communities and the, and the individuals that you can pick up on and tell. But I do believe that religion is probably the i mean it's it seems to be the pillow with which racism and intolerance lays its head on in these communities am i right you are very much safe to assume that that is one of the factors didn't mean to be right but yeah yeah yeah, try, yeah yeah no and um i did grow up catholic i don't really associate with it now for many reasons just the institution as a whole has many issues that they need to address mm. but if we look back again at um the christianization of uh, uh indigenous communities um african people that were enslaved within latin america um that is a large part of where um anti-blackness um continues to be perpetuated mm -hmm. Um, this notion of being a good person, right. notion of following the Ten Commandments, right. um, um, rewriting the way that, well, essentially redrawing the way that some of our disciples and even Jesus, um, the image of Jesus, oh, yeah. um, was whitened right. um, for the purpose of essentially saying that our religion trumps any other religion um, within the indigenous communities right. that that effectively um, continues to occur, whether that be overt or covert, it is uh, one of the many sources of anti-blackness in that um, we continue to look through this lens of religion being the only source of morality. That is, um, yeah, I... 
I couldn't have said it better. See, that's why we got you on for the interview. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, I was canvassing one day. Uh, I was canvassing one day, um, walking around, knocking on doors, giving out information to people. And I happened to go by this house. Um, this is a long story. I won't get into it. But it had all manner of religious, uh, you know, this house in Spanish, you know, all this stuff right on the door. And I knocked, and then there was some old lady back there, some old Hispanic lady back there. I, I couldn't hear through the window, mm-hmm. but I could tell that she didn't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just left the little leaflet thing on the door. But as I was leaving, the garage door opens up, and out comes, like, this young dude. You know, he's, like, young. He's got a comment shirt on. He's going to work. He's like, what's up, man? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just here on behalf of yada, yada, you know. And he's like, uh, I was like, I was like, I think your mom, I didn't mean to wake her up or whatever. He was like, uh, old black, or uh, he said, uh, old Latinos don't really like black people. So she didn't know who he was, you know, whatever. And he just, <laughs> he was cool. And then we just chopped it up for a minute and then he went about his way. But um, it's those it's those instances like that and those stories, which I have a ton of, but I don't think the, I don't think a lot of people are able to articulate them or know what's going on and things like that. Because speaking, I mean, I've been black for a long time. You're not, (laughs) we are not, we've never really grown accustomed. The black community has never really grown accustomed fully to the idea that other people of color are our enemies. We've never, black people, that's not an easy pill for black people to swallow. Well, if we look also at the history of um, the civil rights movement, um, parallel to, um, um, for example, the women's um, rights movement, and also in the 80s, having this um, movement of black liberation run parallel to the Chicano movement. Right. Um, there wasn't really a lot of um, crossing, reaching out across the forum to collaborate, unless yeah. it's unless there are a few examples within chi- within Chicago of um, uh, trying to collaborate across the board with Latinx community and the Black community. Um, more in the realm of politics, government, um, but essentially even within um, the notion of um, acknowledging one another's struggles, it doesn't, there's very few instances in history where you see in the U.S. this um, this recognition that, you know, these struggles are inextricably linked. Right. And for some reason, we continue to look at these issues as being isolated to one demographic or another. Um, And that's why I like, um, from having read about the black radical tradition and the notion of black liberation, in the sense that they also they do acknowledge that these are struggles that are intersectional, mm-hmm. um, but 
when those ideals are being executed, it's only really just now that we're starting to see people reach across the aisle and asking for assistance with some of the issues that people are now acknowledging are shared. Um, it might look different within every community, but it's just, it's really interesting just reading on the history of these different movements, how much, um, how many obstacles one had to go through to even try to, for example, with um, the United Farm Workers Movement. Trying I was just thinking about that. <laughs> Holy cow, yeah. Yep. Um, with um, Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta trying to have um, Philip the um, Filipino farm workers collaborate with them mm -hmm. because I don't know how much you know about um, just Cesar Chavez's own ideology, but he wasn't for undocumented workers. Mm -hmm. um, um, and that's something that people are just starting to learn about. And also Dolores Huerta was very much the foundation of trying to collaborate with other organizations. Um, and I think that also stems to this idea of um, machismo and ego and um, looking at people as other, even within the Latinx community. Um, and so it is interesting that you note that, you know, there's not much in history to say about these collaborations between black and brown organizations. Right, right. Uh, I think about here in Aurora. One day I'm looking, I'm walking around downtown and everything. And you got the Chamber of Commerce, you got the Black Chamber of Commerce, and the Latin Chamber of Commerce. You have this Latino group, education, black students, or Latin students, then black students in the same school. There's always each group in its own little silo representing its own interests as opposed to the effective collaboration. You're, you're more apt to find each group doing their own thing, well, the same thing. There is yeah. something to be said about that. So even within higher ed, um, or even at the K-12 level, I'm a former teacher, so... Oh. Um, yeah, I used to work Man, as a Spanish teacher. <laughs> get, um, get, get it all packed in. <laughs> um, yes, I used to be a teacher. I actually left my position in January to focus more on my PhD, but I, I have five years of teaching at the high school level under my belt. And so being in there in the trenches and mm -hmm. looking at how students and staff interact with each other, there is something to be said about having spaces for people to um, – be able to engage with people that are like them because oh, right. unfortunately in education we don't have a large representation of staff of color not at all no and it's there's something to be said about that because even as a spanish teacher um there are very few black teachers within world languages mm -hmm. there are very few latinos teaching world languages you have and i'm i I'm being very unapologetic about this because I feel all sorts of ways about this. Oh, go this. in. This is... You have white, mostly women, 
going, having this study abroad experience, and then coming back and saying, I want to teach languages. And this is where my belief of the prestige behind learning a language in an educational setting versus already being bilingual comes in. Um, and so there is something to be said about having these spaces. They allow us to be in the comfort of people that have shared experiences. Where that could be um, improved is also reflecting on what are our shared struggles? Where right. are there opportunities for us to collaborate with other organizations of color? Many of the literal representations of a lot of American prejudice are coming down, being removed, what have you. The changing of names to sports teams that people have always wanted to see changed. Um, you know, certain statues, pictures. Um, I, I think about, I think at the Illinois House recently or in Springfield or something like that, mm -hmm. they took down pictures of some of the former slave owners in Illinois history at the moment mm -hmm. um, or who had been. Does, not speaking on the merits of tearing things down, what's the best part about the social climate right now? I personally feel it is the – I love seeing all the white kids in the streets taking part. I love seeing the unity in all of it. People – it's not even about black lives. I mean, look how many white kids are out there. No, that's a good thing because it wasn't that long ago that no matter how egregious the crime was, you couldn't get people to speak out against it no matter what you did. Um, sometimes the jury – Mm -hmm. knew the clan member and made sure he got off. Mm -hmm. So I like seeing the diversity of people who have seemed to have had enough. In your view, what's the best thing about the current social climate? I think what I am definitely relishing in this is this notion of what it means to be an ally, um, especially among white people. There's a right. difference between being an ally to the cause and being a comrade are you willing to hmm. step in when it is called upon you to shed yourself of the privileges that are have been privy to you since the history of the inception of this nation right and defend the the movement for liberation among black and brown people. Right. And so an ally can be anyone. And unfortunately, people self-ascribe themselves to being allies because maybe they got a one-hour training. Maybe they took some cultural sensitivity training. Yeah, I watched Dave Chappelle. Yeah, I've, yeah, you know. Hey. Uh, yeah. yeah. My favorite rapper is Jay-Z, man. Yo, you know, right. <laughs> Jay-Z is problematic, too. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. That is a... Uh, he's um, working with the NFL, you sure, know. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Yep. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely showing, you know, who is willing to lay down um, with the communities in the struggle for liberation. And this is where you really start to see, you know, who's putting their words into action. What's the best thing about Aurora? This is why I don't want to leave Aurora ever. 
because you know I grew up in a community where it was it was a it was diverse. It's just I had the privilege of growing up in a more um, affluent community, mm-hmm. despite also being more on the lower end of the middle class. Right. Um, but I didn't have a lot of Latinx friends growing up. Most of my circles were um, Southeast Asian, Pacific Islander, mm-hmm. um, especially in that area. There is a large Korean population, yeah. um, Assyrian, Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that yes, it is diverse in that sense, but I do... I do thoroughly enjoy being in a community that is so, um, it's, it's just so colorful in that there's a large Latinx representation. Um, I'm just slowly starting to learn more about the black communities in Aurora because I will admit that I have yet to really um, engage in those um, spaces, um, I think because I have my own biases of really trying to um, stay within the confines of where I feel comfortable. Hmm. Right. And this is where I really started to reflect on, I love I love the Latinx community within Aurora, the representation that it has, but what about the other communities of color that we see in Aurora? Right. Um, and I really do enjoy the visibility of those communities, um, but I will say that also stemming back to this idea of who is being represented even by the city it's very isolated. Well, uh, that that put a little more on that. What do you mean exactly? I do think with having some of the different um, organizations under the umbrella of the city, like the um, the Aurora Hispanic Heritage Advisory Board, which I did sit on at mm-hmm. one point. Um, the African American Heritage Advisory Board, the Indian Heritage Advisory Board, I have yet to see a collaboration within those organizations reaching out across the board. Yeah, okay, I, I yeah, um, yeah, right? A big picnic or something, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's, I don't think I've seen that either. The best representation I think that they've had in a, uh, collaborative of nature has been like during parades now that I think about it you know there's a little there's more of a unity kind of umbrella everybody thing but yeah to your point I don't think I've seen that either yeah and I also think that unfortunately some of our elected officials are also responsible for some of that isolation and I'm not going to mention names but you know it's there's something to be said about one, there's not a true representation currently of who is in our community. Right. And I just think that 
especially when we talk about um, elections, who's up for, um, whose positions are up. We have every opportunity to really fight for people being in those positions that truly represent the interests and also um, that communal vibe of who is here in Aurora. Interesting. Um, so the show, uh, the time is now 9 o'clock a.m., um, so we are going to wrap it up, but we do like to end the show on a positive note. And I think this is a good positive conversation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Some of the other conversations, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, the, the murder was terrible, right? Yeah. Let's end on a positive note. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, do you, what would you like to let the folks of Aurora know going into a brand new week, brand new Monday here? Oh, goodness. You know. There's a lot to say, you know, there mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, I, I definitely love being in Aurora because I've only ever had really positive experiences with people in Aurora, um, except for, you know, my encounter with, uh, some folks over the internet, but, oh, you know, so extra, I know, so extra, but a part, uh, just aside from that, I think that the people of Aurora genuinely have other people's interests at heart. Mm -hmm. Um, there's definitely been a lot of love in these months with COVID that have been occurring. Um, just seeing how people are trying to help those in need even those in need trying to help other people even with the little that people might have there's definitely something to be said about the heart of people in aurora and it's awesome to see how you know we are trying to band together and help everyone out um, for example, Saturday, I wasn't able to go, but um, the Goldfinch Cafe. Shout out to Goldfinch and Goldfinch, Branch Gardens. Yeah. Yes, and Shelly. Um, I only just met her like a week ago, but I've been following the development of the Goldfinch Cafe. That's something amazing that I have, I have not seen anywhere that I have lived so far. Just the ability to be able to provide a source of nutrition mm -hmm. and on a sliding scale, pay what you can. That's awesome. That is, um, yeah. Shout out to Branch Gardens and Goldfish Cafe for having that uh, rainbow pancake yes. breakfast. Yeah, that was on Saturday. Um, um, but so yeah, no, definitely, and um, just people trying to provide the skills and talents that they have to the community. And I will pull a plug because I'm truly, truly proud of my husband for doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, but Nate, he was, I've always been trying to push him to try to help out in the community. Um, but I think he's definitely found his niche just this past, um, Saturday we had, uh, a woodwork shop at the, uh, El Jardin on Claim Street in Union. Um, and he was able to help with building birdhouses. Yeah, we shot that out. We put that on the Instagram and Facebook. Y'all can check that out. That's your boy with the sunglasses on holding the bird feeders <laughs> and everything like that. He was doing his job out yes. there. Um, we do got to pull the plug, though. It is 9.04 a.m. I think that we already established that. We got to do a part two. 
Yes. This was good. This, this was a, this was definitely this was good. very good. Um, from Good Morning Aurora, we hope that you guys have a safe, prosperous, and blessed day. Uh, pay it forward the best way that you can. Shout out to Aurora Rapid Response Team. Mm-hmm. Um, and shout out to all of our friends, listeners out there, Vizo Arts, Treadwell Coffee, McCarty Mills, PLS, everybody. And from Good Morning Aurora to the rest of you, we say that we will see you back here tomorrow on the second largest city's first daily news podcast. Hasta la próxima. <laughs> what she said. We out, y'all. We out.